You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. We're going to be reading from the focal passage, John chapter 13, verses 21 through 30. There's screens all along here. Feel free to follow along. And if you're turning to your Bible, I'll give you just a moment. I'm going to start here at verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus, of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What are you going to do? Do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. You guys can be seated, and any children here may be dismissed to classes. Good morning. My name is Michael. I am one of the pastors... Here, thanks so much for hanging out with us. It's a a full house today. Um, It's it's so easy to think that that the things of God, like his plans and his purpose and his movement, the way that he carries out all things, it's so easy to think that those things happen like outside of God in real life, you know, like they they happen in some far off places as if God exists in a galaxy far, far away, but we exist here on earth and there's like this this separation that's, that's hard to get our heads around, as if our problems are not his problems, as if our needs are, are not understood by the Lord himself, um, as if our relationships are outside of his grasp to understand. He's, he's God, and, and we're not. And we spend a lot of time reflecting on the scripture that teaches us that, um, cover to cover, and, and that God's ways are not our ways, and that he is not like us. Um, he's, he's God, and we're not. And so, you know, what could he know about our days, about our troubles? It would be easy to think that. But but the God revealed in Scripture is not some far-off God. He is not some God in outer space that doesn't mean anything to us. He's not from, from a land far, far away. But, but Jesus, he, he comes to earth and he dwells among us and he is relatable and he is, he is personal. And not only is he near, but he experienced things that we experienced. And he experienced suffering and he experienced the work of sin 
like all around him. And, and he, he, he saw it mar and manipulate and, and tear down uh, everything around him in relationships. And he was tempted as, as we were tempted. And the Lord himself, he ate and he drank. And he shared meals around a table just like you and me. And, and when you talk about like uh, awkward dinner parties, and I know I've, I've been to some awkward dinners that are just like, this is weird, right? And maybe you've been to those and we should share stories sometimes. But, but this is like potentially one of the more famous awkward dinner parties. It's, it's the last supper, as it were. And, and Jesus is hanging out with, with his guys, the ones that he spent three years plus with. And, and he's been investing in them. And, and as we looked at last week, like, it's, it's like the beginning of the end is, is coming near. And, and he experienced pain. And he experienced hardship. And he faced betrayal at this dinner. And so when I say the word betrayal, like there are some words that just have weight and that one seems to have some weight. And maybe that's scientific because of, of the letters that, that are in there. But maybe that's just like, huh, because we know what that means. And so I just, as we're going to spend the next indefinite amount of minutes talking about betrayal, I, I just want you to think about what that does in you when you hear the word. Like, where do you go? Betrayal. Names, faces, moments, Movies, real life. Does your watch detect a workout? Does your heartbeat, whatever? Are you unsettled in that? Tears, pain? I'm not trying to just bring you into those dark moments of your life. Betrayal is one of the more difficult pains that we can suffer. And, and it's true, it's, it's painful because it's personal. It has to be personal. Like, like the, uh, the formal kind of definition of betrayal, to betray is to expose to danger, to give info to an enemy, to, to kind of play double agent. That's what it means. To switch teams and work for the enemy, to hand over to an opposing authority. That's what it means formally. But informally, to betray or to be betrayed is, is to trust someone only to have trust broken by deceit. And that is weighty. And that is real life. And that's what makes relationships hard. And so here in John 13, we have this kind of window into the depths of betrayal of the human heart. And this is divine betrayal, and it's personal betrayal, and we see its roots, the roots of betrayal, and we see the perfect plans of God in the length that Jesus would go to to welcome us into his family. And all of that happens over dinner in the most down-to-earth setting that we can imagine, in the living room. It's where you share sweet moments with the sweet people in our life. Jesus makes known his betrayal over dinner to give us a seat at his table. Jesus, uh, if Jesus was betrayed, then, then we get to listen and we get to learn and we get to reflect and we get to own our part in, in the work of betrayal that, that we have against him and against others. And we get to find comfort through him. And so the first thing I want us to look at as we're kind of working through John chapter 13, it's it's this, betrayal happens close to home. 
If you have a weekly, all this kind of big picture stuff is in that. You can follow along there. But betrayal happens close to home. I want to read, I want to start reading in verse, <clears throat> in verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Man, that's a window in. Like if you're just reading that on your own, don't just, don't just skim over that. Like Jesus, the Lord, the author of all creation, is troubled in his spirit. And so this is a, a, a weighty description of what's going on inside of him. He's unsettled. Look, he knows all things. He knows how, how this dinner party is going to pan out. He knows uh, all the secrets of the people in the room. He knows all the secrets of the people in this room. Right? And so, and, and yet he finds himself troubled in spirit. He's, he's somewhat anxious and he's just trying to like sit in this uh, reality that he knows is happening that, that no one else knows kind of what's going on. And, and he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples, they, they looked at one another like, you know, right? And it's like, what? You probably heard them like, what? And then they're kind of looking around and they're like speculating and like, I knew, you know, I knew this guy or maybe this guy or whatever. One of his disciples whom Jesus loved, and when we see that, it's, it's most believed that that's John, the one writing this. So he's like real tight with Jesus. Uh, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table at Jesus' side. And so they're not sitting. It's not formal. They're like lounging and probably sitting you know, like this, and, and maybe a little uh, couch and some pillows, whatever, kind of kind of lounge, reclining at table. That's, that's what I always say to our family. Hey, where are we going to recline at table tonight, right, if we're going to go out? So it's a good thing to do. Um, so Simon, so, so one of them kind of whispers over, and he, and he says, uh, Jesus, uh, I'll, I'll read on, verse 24. So Simon Peter mentioned to him, to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So then the disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? So you have this, this meal, you have Jesus, he's been teaching uh, all the things, they're sitting there, things change, one of you will betray me, what? Peter's like, just ask him, just ask him. John's like, no, you ask, right? And then, and then John's like, who is it? <laughs> like, that is what's happening here. Hey, seriously, who is it? But they don't know, they don't know who it is. Who is it, Lord? Jesus declares the next move. If this were Sherlock Holmes, he would have, been, he would have said something really cool like, the game is afoot. And everybody would be like, what game are we playing? What is happening? But, but the mole is unknown. Something's going on under the surface, but no one knows. The kids and uh, Kim, and, uh, Kim and I and the kids, we watch this show sometimes called, I think it's called The Snake. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And it's like, it's not like you have to watch all of them. It's just kind of one at a time. Four people show up like on an island or something like that. And, and they don't know why they're there, but it's like, hey, we're here to like win some money or whatever. And the host is like, hey, here's the thing. Uh, you're going to do a couple challenges. And each of those challenges, if you, if you win the challenge as a team, you'll get a clue. And that clue will reveal to you who the snake is. And they're like, what? Like they, we just thought we were coming from some kind of reality, whatever show for two days. And so one of them in that moment, one of them knows that I'm the snake and the other three don't know. And so immediately we're like looking like, who's the camera on? And we're, you're just trying to figure out these clues. Like, 
And then they do these challenges, and we're like, man, that person is either really incompetent or like they're trying to throw this thing. They don't want them to get the clue. And so one of them knows, and at the end, they vote. And if the three vote for the one, then the three share $100,000. And if they are not in agreement, then the snake wins, and they get $100,000. So you have every reason in the world to just lie and do whatever you can. It's so intriguing because it's like real life. And it's like what's happening at this dinner party. One would have, have seen this end. They know that tensions are rising with Jesus. One would have seen this end from the outside. One of the Pharisees, one of the Romans, whatever. One of the Jews, one of the Greeks, anybody, but, but not from the people in this room. Lord, how could that be? You chose us. You chose these 12. We've been spending literally, seemingly every waking moment together for years. And you're telling me that someone in this room... It's an inside job, and they're, they're perplexed. They're perplexed at who it could be, and, and this is not to be overlooked. It's not out there somewhere. Like, if it's out there somewhere, sure, they would expect that. But, but the person is in this room. Someone is about to turn against and take down the Lord himself by giving him over to the authorities who have been trying to build a case to get him killed because they've made God in their image, and Jesus doesn't fit the mold. And, and, and one of them in the room is the snake. The betrayer's been in the room the whole time, been, been living with and eating and laughing and serving beside uh, what we find out is it's uh, a spoiler for one verse from now. The guy is, is named Judas, and he's been serving in cave. I'm just kidding. Uh, even he's, he's been serving with the money. He's been counting the money. He's the treasure. It's the treasure. You can never trust the treasure. I'm kidding. That's not true. So, so he's been hearing the same teaching. He's been seeing the same miracles. He's been gaining the same insight. I had this thought, like, there are people all the time that claim to be time travelers. And you should just look up some videos sometime. Not right now, but it's just kind of fun. Like, man, there are some people that, even right now, there's somebody out there, like, claiming he's from the future or whatever. And so, can you imagine, though, like, meeting someone that actually traveled through time? And you would just be like, you know stuff that we don't, like, tell us. We just want to know more. These guys? I mean, the, the, the questions and the curiosity to sit down, uh, the insight that, that you could learn from them. Here, these disciples, they meet one. They meet a time traveler. But not only that, he is outside of time itself. And they've been spending every waking moment with him for years, and they listen, and they learn, and they, they lean in. And they begin to, to gain insight and wisdom, and they begin to discover the greater truth of all of life, what all of life is about. And they begin to build their life around that truth, and they begin to build their life around that person, Jesus. Some of us do the same. Some of us have, have gained by his word and by, by the preaching of his people, neighbors, co-workers, that, that's how you got here, most of, most of you. You heard someone proclaim truth, and you saw Jesus for who he was, and you begin to tell others. Some of us do the same, and then there's Judas, who has plans of his own. And some of us do the same. They're perplexed because Judas isn't wearing a black ski mask and wielding a weapon. That would, who is it, Lord? Oh, it's the one with the black ski mask holding a knife. That's the one. That would make us feel a little better. 
but he's not in, in, in costume. He looks just like them. There's no disguise. His disguise is that he has been this guy the whole time. He has been inside. He has, he has penetrated uh, the, the circle, and, he, and he's inside. He acts just like them. So betrayal happens close to home, so close that it happens inside of one of them. So, so what does that mean for us? It means a couple things just kind of real quickly to, to land this first point. Betrayal hurts because it isn't expected. It isn't expected. If it was the enemy, that's fine. Everyone gets that. If it's the internet troll that no one knows, that's fine. That's fine. The anonymous person taking shots, okay. But, but it hurts because it isn't expected. It's from someone close to home. And look, you know, I hope we can process in community this week and for those who are connected to community, community groups, but I, I know, gosh, that, that when you just think about this, there's stuff that comes to mind. There's stuff that comes to my mind about how I've been hurt and probably how I've, I've hurt people. Betrayal hurts because it isn't expected. So what do we do with that? Well, we should expect betrayal, but we should not assume it. Here's what that means. It means that the world is broken and, and anybody who lives according to this book knows that. And, and anybody who lives according to this book knows that that begins with us. That, that we are broken, that all of us once walked in darkness before God shone his light to us. Before we beheld his grace that, that, that shined upon us. We all once walked in darkness. We should expect betrayal but not assume it. What that means is, is we can't be naive we can't say, we know that the world is broken. And then when it breaks in our face or around dinner, be like, why, why is this happening? It's the fabric of a life in Christ is that stuff is broken. We have to believe that. We have to know that to be true. This is insight into humanity. It wasn't, uh, he wasn't betrayed because he messed up. Look, th there was a time in my life when I thought, even leading this church, I know that there's bad churches out there and there are bad people who do bad stuff, but like if, if you just do the right thing, man. And so I, I hear of other people and like, oh man, churches, what, church splits or whatever it is, and it's like, gosh, you guys just don't have it together <laughs> like, like I have it together, gosh. But, but then I found out that's not true. I, I found out two things. One, um, Jesus is not complicit in, in his betrayal here, and yet he's betrayed to the point of death. Spoiler. And secondly, I found out that I'm not Jesus, and I will do harm to people. Not on purpose, not because I want to. I will mess up, and I will let people down. And some of that's on the expectations of people. You'll do this. Rest assured, you'll do the same thing. And some of it's because of broken parts inside of me. So, so we should expect betrayal, but not assume it. That means that we can expect the world to be messed up. So if our takeaway is to begin to treat everyone as if they're going to betray us, well, we'll become calloused and hardened and unloving, and there's no way that anyone can be close to us. So it's kind of like this cycle, betrayal, 
gives way to bitterness, and bitterness gives way to cynicism, and cynicism is us just assuming that everything around us is going to harm us. And so what do we do? Well, we can respond a couple different ways. We can just hide and recluse, or we can just begin to take shots first. Self-preservation, right? We put on these negative eyes. We'll treat others as if they're going to harm us, so no one can get close, or we find every reason to assume that they have harmed us even when they have not done that or have not tried to do that. Deciding to, to never be vulnerable or to villainize everyone, that's not an option for those who have been reconciled to Christ. We don't get to do that. And I know that's easier for some to, to get and to grasp, and it's more difficult for others. We don't get to treat everyone else like the villain. We, we don't get to live a life that just passes by difficult things because we have been reconciled to Christ and, and the invitation is that we become ambassadors of reconciliation, which means there's work to be done. And all that takes wisdom and I'm not telling anyone to put themselves in a situation or do something foolish. We get to work things out in, in lots of different ways, but this is where wading through our past and the stuff that's happened to us, it transforms our present and it transforms our future. And so it's helpful for us to process through community, through counseling, if necessary, not to let our future uh, be determined by our past, but to view our future in light of our past with hope that we can live healthier lives moving forward. Betrayal hurts. And, and, and we have to make sure that we make time to heal wounds. The last thing is real quick. Uh, you can fool your friends, but you can't fool Jesus. Everybody in the room might have been like, what? Not him? No way. Everybody in the community, no way. He's literally the treasure guy. Super generous. What a great guy. Nobody saw it. It wasn't obvious to anyone in this room. And Jesus knew who it was. For us, you can fool everyone around you. You will not fool Jesus. The Holy Spirit will find you out. You can run from that, or you can rest in that. The second thing, betrayal has a long history. Read verse 26 and 27. Jesus answered, and it seems like he's still whispering because no one knows what's happening. He's whispering to John. So just imagine, just imagine like this. He's talking into the microphone, obviously. Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. Gosh, like I think it's a tense scene. And I think that the camera is like really zooming in on like bread and crumbs and like, man, you can hear voices and whatever. Like you can just see it. So, so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he'd taken the morsel, Satan entered into him and Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. He said that out loud. We'll see that in just a second. So, so betrayal has a long history. He gave him bread and Satan entered into him. That's pretty significant. That's not something that you read every day, even in the Bible. That Satan entered into him. And we add that together with, with what happens earlier in this chapter. In verse 2, we see John writing, After dinner, when the devil had put it into his heart, so, so there's a lot of stuff going on. And look, there's, 
There's, uh, we, we see that he was tempted. He put it into his heart. And then we see that he's essentially consumed to the point where Satan enters him. And now this isn't a commentary on demonic possession or demonic influence, but it is insight into what's happening inside of Judas in, in heavenly realms over dinner. And this is the only time Satan is mentioned by name in John, and it, and it kind of seems to indicate a final sealing of Judas's heart and of, of Judas's fate, of Jesus's fate, even. So how, how could Jesus have been caught off guard like this? Remember, he is the one who invited Judas to hang with him. He's one of the twelve on which the church will be built and, and scattered and established and all those things. How could Jesus have been duped? Like Satan was in the room at dinner. And the only reason I know that because 10 seconds later, he's in the heart of Judas. He wasn't caught off guard. Jesus is never caught off guard. He knew that this was fulfilling prophecy of old, and carrying out the means to his end here on earth. He knew that this was, this was one of the things that had to happen. And it, and it still didn't make him feel good. And he still didn't like it. At its heart, betrayal undermines love. She's like, mm, I felt that. Right? We can say things like, amen, we can do that. That's okay. Betrayal undermines love. Betrayal undermines trust. Amen, right? Betrayal undermines truth because its, its essence is deception. Betray, betrayal undermines the character in the way of God. At its core, that's what it does. And from the very beginning of the known history of God and humanity, we've had an enemy, the long history of betrayal is, is as long as light and dark. Its roots grow, that grow back to the beginning in the garden with, with Adam and Eve, where the deceiver, the serpent, he duped them into taking the fruit which God said not to. All right, and let us not be confused. It was never about the fruit. The stuff going on there, I have no idea. But what they did was betray love trust, truth, the character in the way of God. They undermined the Lord himself. They were betrayed by creation, the serpent. Because they were betrayed, they became betrayers. They forsook love, they forsook trust, truth, the way of God, and they gambled all of those things, and they gambled paradise and peace all on a lie. That's what they did. See, betrayal happens first against the Lord in the heart. That's where it happens first. And only then does it show up at dinner or at, at graduation parties or dorm rooms or marriage beds or social events or at the playground or in the course of daily living with, with any other human. The seed of this root is, is the father of lies. That's where this comes from. The deceiver, the one who steals and kills and destroys, the one who, who hates unity, who hates peace, who hates pure God worship and living in light of that one true living God. He hates all of those things. 
We know well, Buddy the Elf, he says of the mall Santa that he sits on a throne of lies. But that mall Santa's betrayal comes from the one who actually sits on the throne of lies. See, God has a kingdom, and it's, it's always referred to in Scripture as the kingdom of light. But there is an enemy, and, and there's a counter kingdom. It's a kingdom of darkness, which aims to destroy and dethrone the way, the truth, and the life. And here, they're dethroning the way and the truth and the light. And his name is Jesus. Powers of darkness want to dethrone Jesus and, and wreak havoc in, in their lives, in our lives. And there's mystery here. Gosh, there's mystery here. There, there's spiritual stuff going on here that, that we just can't see, and so we only gain insight. There's mystery here. Satan is the seed, but the root produces fruit, which, which holds all responsible. Judas is responsible. And we're responsible for our sin against the Lord. We're responsible for our betrayal against the Lord and against others. And there are, there are things feeding that inside of us, around us, through us. Motives, and, and we won't even look at Judas's motives today because we actually see what they were in a few chapters. We're deceived and, and we deceive We are betrayed and we betray. We are coerced and we are complicit. And, and the scripture seems to hold those tensions unresolved. This isn't new. If, if we don't acknowledge our enemy, his history, the root, the fruit, then we fall victim and we join his work. And James helps us kind of like uh, untangle some threads. And I want to spend a minute walking in this James chapter 1. And some are familiar with this, but it's so helpful of an insight to see how sin plays out. Uh, he says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So just as a, as a baseline, gosh, you're blessed if you persevere. He remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. What is that? I, I don't know, but it seems like a good thing that the Lord is, is inviting us into and bestowing upon us. The crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And then we see like, well, how does it play out? But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And there's a couple analogies that kind of play here. Fishing. Uh, Wes is going to come up and give a uh, demonstration on fishing and some jig, some type of jig, I'm sure. Something like this. But when you think about it, th this is what it's saying. It literally uses the word lure, right? Now that's what you do. That's what you use to fish with. This is one thing that I know, right? And so each person is tempted like the fish sees something when he is lured and enticed, hey, that looks good by his own desire, something that's already inside of him. So there's motive, and the motive is, is self-glory or selfish gain in some way. Then, James tells us, desire, I want that. Desire, when it is conceived, 
Now we're talking a, a birth analogy. And, and baby and, and conception and birth and life and death analogy. Watch. The desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown, it's grown up now, brings forth death. That's how, that's how your sin works. And the goal is to stop it before you die. This is practical over dinner. It's spiritual throughout all of history. It's unseen realms in the heart and it, and it takes the form of sin. And this is just really important. We're lured, enticed by our own desire, something that's already inside of us and, and sin grows up and it brings forth death and the hope is that, that the Spirit would breathe new life into us. And that something outside of us has to transform us to give us new hearts through, through grace or through faith by grace given to us that we might not walk in the ways that lead to death. But we get to walk in the ways that lead to abundant life. And the Lord is the author of those things in each of us and we have a part to play in that. Lastly, number three, betrayal happens in the cover of night. This is a, a mood, right? This is like, this is what we, this is what we see when we, when we read on. No one at the table knew why he said this to him. So remember, Jesus says, hey, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. And they're thinking like, oh, he's the treasurer, the bank. The bank closes and just, he's got to get to the bank. That, yeah, he's right. Jesus said, hey, do this quickly. Got to go to the bank. Hey, you got to take care of those financial things, write the checks, balance the thing. Hey, whatever you're going to do, Judas, do it quickly. No one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what you need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread... He immediately went out. And look what John does. For the writers among us, this is sweet. And it was night. That's all that he says. And it was night. Hmm. See, John be begins his gospel, the gospel of John, with a comparison to Genesis. All the way back, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and, and it was without form and void, and, and the Spirit was hovering around. So that's, that's the way the Bible, the, this book begins. And John, he knows that it's the beginning of something new, right? But it's like, it's, it's as big of a deal as it was when everything was made the first time. And this is what he says in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All that, just so you know, he's talking about Jesus. He's saying he was always here from the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But that doesn't mean that the darkness doesn't work against it. 
in this little line, and it was night. I don't think I'm being dramatic. I think this is significant. With, with this in mind, what John is doing, he's writing this kind of outro line, Judas leaves, and it was night. See, what he's saying, he's telling us, he's telling the reader that, that darkness was on the move. If it were a movie, the soundtrack and the lighting and the tone, it would change and the, and the clouds would roll in and it would be ominous and it would be dark. That's what John's wanting us to know by those few little words. And it was night. Like things changed and it was heavy. Darkness is on the move at dinner and it's swirling in Judas who is set up to betray Jesus which will set off a series of events that will change the world see darkness as we know it like we would say something like in the cloak of night what that means is it means undercover it's unknown it's 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 veiled we can't see it this is a question. What if Judas had processed his plan with his community group? And what if he sat down on a Sunday evening or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or whatever day his group meets and he said, guys, I'm struggling. I have this offer that sounds really good and can set my family up pretty well. By the way, he got some money for this, but, but we're not there yet. And Judas says, I, I have an offer and I can... I can really set my family up. And like, is Jesus, is he the real deal? I don't know. And they would be like, <laughs> Judas, like, what? Bro, no, don't do, don't like, right? I don't think Judas did that. I don't think he shared what, what he was about to do at community group. I think he kept it to himself. See, it's difficult to live a life of faithful endurance, period. It's difficult to live a life of, of faithful obedience to Jesus. If you find it difficult to do that, you're in really good company. I just want you to know that. In, in my community group last week, there were a handful of us, it was New Year's Day and stuff going on or whatever, but, but like we just really shared like how life is pretty hard. And, and one of the people that were there, they, they said like, Guys, I don't, I don't mean to be rude, but it's really encouraging, she didn't say it like this, that your life is so terrible. <laughs> and it was like, hey, hey, and it's really encouraging that your life is so terrible. It's difficult to live a life of, of faithful endurance. It's nearly impossible to do it alone in the cloak of night. Part of God's work to, to sanctify, which is, right, just so you know, by faith we are justified in a moment. And we are the Lord's and we are adopted into his family and we are converted and all those things in one moment. But it takes the course of our life to be sanctified, to be conformed to his image, to be made mature in him. And that happens when we die. And it's just a forging process all of our life part of God's work to conform us is the tools that, that he gives us the, the chisels are are Jesus laying the found work foundational work and that's dynamite and that changes everything in a moment and it's it's the Holy Spirit sealing us and being at work and then there are two things that he uses more than anything else 
It's his word and his people. The two things that he uses to chisel the broken parts of us away, his word, so we get to wrestle with this all of the days of our life, in January and even in March. <laughs> we still get to open this book. And even in November when your reading plan has just been shot to heck, you still get to do it all the days of your life. And his people, the saying is you can't see the back of your own head. We need people around us to say, hey, that, that wasn't great. That didn't look like somebody that's following Jesus. And I'm here for you, and I'm walking with you. This isn't judgment. It's not coming at, it's coming alongside. Every single one of us, we have to have that. Life is too hard to try to do it by yourself. Darkness means undercover, and it also means in the domain of evil. So it's outside of the way. He's shunning the light. And, and a lot of people say that when Jesus offered him that morsel of bread, like, can you imagine just, you ever been in a room with someone and only, only two of you know something and no one else does? And there's kind of like, you know, like whatever, you know, like glances or like, you know, like that. They know. Jesus and Judas know. And what he's doing, he's offering Judas, take this bread, don't, don't do it. And Judas says, thank you, my Lord. I've got some place to be. And he walks out. The, the, the series of events that kind of, uh, the, the series of, of events this nightfall sets in is the end for which Jesus came to serve. It was always going to be this way. Jesus, baby in a manger, this was the plan. Jesus had to be betrayed. He had to, to, to feel its weight and its pain to submit to his mission of death and his mission of death satisfies God and the life that he lived, and the death that he died so, so that we didn't have to. And it offers all who would trust him victory over betrayal's ultimate sting. It gives new hearts to walk in faithfulness to the Lord under his word, with the Lord, and with his people. And so as we look at all this, just a couple real quick things. We get some insight, and we get an invitation. And, and here's... Here's the insight and the invitation. One, we have an enemy outside of us that we get to stand guard against. Can you imagine being in a battle and then just forgetting that you're in a battle? That's probably not going to win anything. And yet we just go through life. Do, 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 do. Don't forget, we have an enemy. Stand guard. Don't forget... We are the enemy, apart from Christ. That's us. But then we see this, that Jesus was betrayed to the point of death. He was willingly betrayed to the point of death to give us a seat at his table. That's the invitation, that we have all been betrayed and we are all betrayers, and yet he, in, he invites us to join him at dinner. And gosh, it's hard to invite enemies over the table for dinner. And what we see is, is all this is happening 
Right? Jesus is making known his betrayal over dinner to give us a seat at his table. He doesn't hold, his, he doesn't hold it against us if we turn to him and we trust him. And so I, I just want to close out. The band can come on up with a, a quote from uh, a Christ-centered ex, exposition commentary, which I know all you guys probably read that for fun or whatever. So, <clears throat> this is what it says. Acts records Judas's tragic end, but John makes a powerful point about Judas. He concludes the account of betrayal with the phrase, and it was night. Throughout the Gospels, John, was recorded, John has recorded the words of Jesus about light and darkness. He calls Jesus the true light who entered this world of darkness to bring light. We hear Jesus cry out, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then you can read this on the screen. When, when Judas walks out of the candlelit room into the dark street, He's walking away from the light of the world. As the door shuts behind him, his fate is sealed. He's turned his back on the only source of life. This is the end of Judas. He chose darkness over light. He chose death over life. And with his example comes a question. And this is what I leave us with. Will I embrace the light or will I walk into the night? Some of us need to make that decision once and for all, for all time. And every one of us need to make that decision every moment of our life as we try to live in light of this light, Jesus. We get to respond. You can stand up and sing with this great band. You can sit down right where you are. You can pray over there at that prayer bench. There was uh, some people over by that red tree would love to pray with you about anything Right? If for the first time you say, I, I don't know what it looks like to walk with Jesus. I don't know what it looks like to be transformed by this light. But, but that's what I want to do. And someone would love to pray with you about that. If you're struggling, you've been betrayed, you, you are currently betraying someone, don't let the sun fade without responding to this question, will I embrace the light or will I walk into the night? For those who are in Christ, whether you're a member here or not, this table is open for you where we get to take of, uh, of the, the juice and the bread and we get to do that in remembrance of Jesus whose body was broken, whose blood was spilled so that we might have a seat at his eternal table with his eternal people. Right? And don't do that uh, without reflecting don't do that, in, as the Bible says, in an unworthy manner. Reflect, repent, respond, and do this as a delight, remembering and declaring what Jesus has already done for us. Father, thank you for these people, for this room, for these songs and the prayers prayed. Thank you for tears shed for hearts that rejoice. Thank you that although we might be beaten up and battered spiritually or even physically, we find ourselves here today and we can turn to you. We can trust in you above all things. Would you let us be 
sons and daughters of the light by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.